Welcome to the Spurs Up Show, home of the best Gamecocks content on the internet. The following is brought to you by our friends over at Prize Picks. Go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use the promo code TSUS to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to. $100. Prize Picks is the simplest fantasy game on the market focused around prop total entries. You pick two to six players and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. Prize Picks has no sharks, optimizers, or mass multi entry. It's literally just you against the projection. They also allow mixed sport entry. So, for example, you can take the over on LeBron, parlay with the under on Mahomes. They've got college sports pro sports, literally anything and everything you can think of, they have got it over at Prize Picks. They also have a slick, easy-to-use mobile app, both on the App Store and Google Play, and they're rated 4.8 stars in the App Store with rave reviews. So many fans and listeners of the Spurs Up show have made tons of money with our friends at Prize Picks, and you should as well. So again, go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use that promo code TSUS to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Be sure to check them out and tell them that Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. College football season approaches. You know it's close when we have our good friend Phil Steele on the airwaves once again as he breaks down everything South Carolina, SEC, and all in between. Phil, how you been doing, my man? Obviously, the hardest working man in showbiz. Appreciate you taking the time. Your magazine is out once again. I've gone through it. Fantastic work, and congratulations 
on yet another successful magazine release. How's everything going for you? Oh, everything's going great, Chris. It's summertime, so I don't have those uh, long deadlines of, of the the, co- the magazine, which is a seven-month process. Don't have the 100-hour work weeks of the football season where I'm watching 12 games every Saturday and then watching tape games and trying to keep up with all 133 teams during the season. Right now, I'm just kicking back, relaxing, maybe working 50 hours a week, uh, doing a bunch of radio shows, so having fun in the summertime. Now, Phil, I got my magazine over at philsteel.com, the digital version. I know the magazines are on newsstands. Let everybody know. Let's start there. Let folks know where they can find your publication. I appreciate that. And, you know, this year it's a little different. Normally we're out everywhere, Walmarts, uh, grocery stores, Kroger's, places like that. But this year we're exclusively at Barnes & Noble and Books A Million. So if you're out and about looking, save your gas money. Only go to Barnes and Noble and Books a Million. Those are your brick and mortar stores. Or as Chris did, you can go to philsteel.com and get the magazine. And the good thing, when you order the hard copy on the online at philsteel.com, uh, I'm going to charge you a shipping charge. Actually, it costs to ship things, but we give you the digital magazine absolutely free. And that's updated all the way through September. As an example, you go to the uh, Northwestern team page and look at the head coach. It's David Braun, not Pat Fitzgerald. So we'll circle players as they're out for the year, uh, things like that on the digital magazine. And then new this year, uh, I've done a FCS magazine before. It's been about four or five years since we've done one. But this year we've got the digital FCS magazine, two full pages on every FCS team. Nobody has this type of coverage. Same type of coverage again on the FBS for the FCS this year. And that's available right now at BillSteel.com. And, Phil, let's get into it. Let's start talking South Carolina. I think what's really unique and interesting and one of the many things that separates your publication, Phil, apart from others is that, you know, you sit down and you talk with these coaches. You have thorough discussion with them about their football teams. You're able to really get a gauge on how they're feeling, learn about their groups. What did you learn overall from Shane Beamer when you discussed with him? Because I I think what's unique, Phil, about this season is that You know, South Carolina comes in with real expectations, right? I think even last year, you know, the Gamecocks were picked as kind of a six and six, seven and five. Hey, it was a nice story in year one. Let's see if they can, you know, follow up on that. But when you close this season out the way they did, beating Tennessee and Clemson back-to-back wins over top 10 teams, I think folks are looking at the Gamecocks now, Phil, in year three, are saying, okay, are they legit? Are they for real? What did you sense from Shane Beamer in the way that they're embracing those expectations and just your overall takeaways from your conversations with him? Well, I always enjoy talking to Coach Beamer. And this year, uh, Chris, I talked to 123 of the 133 head coaches. And the conversations are a little different. The fact that I send them over my team pages, Mm -hmm. which have every player listed on the team, uh, all their stats, all my notes on every player. And then we go through every player on the team and get, I get a position wrap up. And to be honest with you, I write the magazine in a three write through process. Mm-hmm. The first write through is a postseason write through where I uh, read everything, every story that was written about the team from the past year. So I've watched every game. I've lived through the season. Then I re update just that team for the next five, six hours, go through every single article written, go all the ebbs and flows and do the first write through uh, on each position, which is recapping. Uh, what kind of shape were they heading into last year? What happened last year? What kind of shape are they heading into this year? And after the first write through, you know, South Carolina lost a lot. They only had uh, 10 starters back this year. They dropped a number 82 on my experience chart. So I had some concerns with the team, the running back position, lose their top two running backs, uh, lose four of their top five receivers from this year. 
Uh, as far as the top tacklers go, they lose seven of the top 11 tacklers. So there was definitely some question marks. The second right through is pre-spring where we get the rosters and some transfer portals. And then the third is after talking to the head coach. And after talking to Coach Beamer, I did feel better about the team. Uh, defensive line, for example, last year the rush defense was was bad. They gave up 4.9 yards per carry, almost 200 yards per game. But he feels really good about the defensive line this year. They lost two good players. I mean, Zach Pickens was the number three draft pick. Burst, of course, was uh, transferred out to Oregon. But uh, he feels they're better depth-wise, and uh, they're actually going to be have an improved rush defense this year. So that made me feel better in that respect, and and better in a lot of areas. You know, you look at the uh, offensive line; they brought in a numerous amount of transfers there. Tight end; they brought in three transfers. So the transfers, I think, help the uh, factor in the third year for Shane Beamer. And the one thing about Shane Beamer is uh, it just overachieving expectations. I always put a big check mark next to the coach if they do that. You know, go back to year one. The over-under total was three and a half. And what do they do? They get to seven. And then last year, uh, the over-under total was five and a half. And while they bagged that prior to the final two games, Chris, I had a feel going into those last two games. I mean, they're playing number five, Tennessee, and number seven, Clemson. Okay, South Carolina's going to finish six and six this year. And then they knocked Tennessee out of the playoff and knocked Clemson out of the playoff. Just a remarkable uh, finish to the season to get to eight and five. So I got to feel he'll overachieve. And, and like I said, talking to Coach Beamer this year, I felt better about the team after talking to Coach Beamer than I did in my first right through. Now, Phil, one of the things that stood out from our conversation a year ago this time is when you told me that Coach Beamer mentioned to you, because, of course, you bring up the defensive line. Coach Beamer mentioned last year the defensive tackles he felt and told you specifically were the strength of the football team. Was there a position unit that Coach Beamer mentioned to you maybe in your conversations that he talked about in a similar light to how he discussed those defensive tackles a season ago? Was there a strength he pointed to in regards to a position group specifically on this football team that he really likes? Uh, I would have to say that probably the biggest uh, strength of the team would be the quarterbacks this year. You know, not only did Spencer Rattler really come on the final three weeks of the season, but look at the depth they have at quarterback. I mean, if something was to happen to Spencer Rattler, they've got one of the best backup quarterbacks in the game in Luke Doty. And then, of course, Lenora Sellers coming in as a true frosh, a big kid that can run. Uh, I think that's a really deep quarterback room and probably does look like the strength of the team this year. Now, you mentioned the quarterbacks, Phil. Let's go there. Spencer Rattler was a, a very interesting case last year when you look at his season. First 10 games, struggled mightily. Last three was one of the hottest quarterbacks in college football. What do you make of his game coming into this season? It's all about consistency. We hear that C word thrown around time and time again. And I think, Phil, the question is, which version of Spencer Rattler does South Carolina get more of, the final three games from last year or the first ten? Your just overall thoughts and expectations. I mean, again, we there were mixed reviews last summer, and it feels like there's more of the same just because of some of the inconsistencies, problems with turnovers. What do you make of his game going into this season? Well, I'll tell you, if, if you watch, um, and I know you did, but I mean, if if when I watched South Carolina football the yeah. first half of the year, I was nonplussed with uh, Spencer Rattler. I mean, he had a 2-5 ratio his first four games, and you're thinking, okay, this guy is uh, not going to uh, turn it on. But what he did at the end of the year was remarkable. And then I like how he's followed it up. He had the most out, he won the most outstanding spring award this uh, spring. Uh, he's a two-time captain. He's a, a guy that's 
uh, really good outside the pocket. He throws well on the move. He's probably a better athlete than you give him credit for. And he's dealt with a lot of adversity and overcome it. And, uh, you know, this is the same Spencer Rattler that was a Heisman favorite heading into that one season at Oklahoma uh, where it was disappointing. So uh, I'm not expecting Spencer Rattler to look like he did against Tennessee and Clemson in every single game. But I also don't expect to see the start of the season from last year. I think he's going to be closer to the what he did at the end of the year last year than it was at the beginning. I'm looking for a big year out of Spencer Rattler this year. Now, moving to, again, anytime there's a new OC on campus, Phil, that's a big talking point. Of course, Dowell Loggins made a splash when he was hired amongst Gamecock Nation, and that's one of the big storylines going into the season. How did Shane Beamer speak on his offensive coordinator? Again, this is one never called a play at the collegiate level, spent some time in the NFL. He was at Arkansas the last two years under Kendall Bryles and Sam Pittman. What did Shane Beamer have to say about his new offensive coordinator? Uh, he definitely uh, likes uh, O.C. Uh, Loggins, uh, the guy coming in. Uh, the team adapted well to him in the spring, which is always a big thing. And uh, the, the the switch and the implementation of the system was uh, seamless. So I think it's going to work out really well. Now, Juice Wells is the guy, Phil, I know you really like him on your preseason All-SEC team, preseason All-American, I believe, as well. What do you like about his game, and where would you rank him amongst the best receivers in the SEC? I'd have to put him right towards the top. There's no doubt about it. And you look at last year. And, you know, here's something interesting, Chris, that I learned this year going through the roster. I mean, we go through every player on the team with every coach. And after about 10 teams this year, I started to notice that these FCS transfers coming up were all making impacts their first year. And, you know, you didn't really expect that. JUCOs uh, generally, when they come in, uh, they hit their stride at the end of the first year. And then the second year, you get the guy that you recruited. So I started asking the coaches each time we'd come across an FCS player, and I'd say, uh, what's going on here? And then by the end of the conversation, I was fully you know, aware of exactly what goes on. These FCS players, as long as they're productive and they transfer, uh, they come in with a chip on their shoulder. They're grateful for being there. And it seemed like uh, 85% of them produced right away. And Antoine Wells uh, was just that. He was uh, an honorable mention, All-American, uh, you know, and uh, a guy at uh, James Madison and uh, steps in here, or second team All-American, I should say, at James Madison and just stepped in, had an unbelievable year. He's got good size at 6'1", 210. He had an unbelievable first year. Uh, he's always he's trying to get to that extra edge. And, you know, I loved what I saw of him in the spring last year. It's Then I saw it on the field. He had four 100-yard games. Had a big year. I expect an even bigger year this year. And then adding a guy like a, a true frost in uh, Nicholas Harbor, I think it's going to be something that uh, really helps the offense out because you can't just focus on one guy and they also have Leggett there. So I think the receiving core looks pretty good this year. Yeah, Phil, I wanted to get into that because, again, looking at your depth chart, and like I mentioned, you talk to these coaches. So I put a lot of stock in the depth charts that you guys, the projected starting lineups, if you will, that you release in your magazine you have Nicholas Harbor starting at one of those receiver spots. Did Shane Beamer indicate to you that, I mean, they're going to have him in the rotation that early to start the season, that he's going to be factoring that starting rotation at the uh, at the wide receiver position? Yeah, you know, sometimes I make projections based on what I think as well uh, out of the whole thing. But, I mean, he is a super talented kid. I mean, he's my number two rated defensive lineman. He'd be an excellent defensive lineman. He's 6'5", 230 pounds. He's big, he can run, he has range and all the tools. 
And uh, he's a guy that uh, probably not going to be uh, blocking a lot right out of the box, but playing wide receiver. He's a state champ in high school. And if, if you're a state track champ in high school and you're 6'5", 230 pounds, that's a combination you got to get on the field. So not, Coach Beaver didn't specifically say he's going to start him, but I think by by week three, week four, you're going to see him be up there and, and be one of the key receivers this year. Phil, you mentioned the questions at the running back position. It feels like a tale as old as time. We do this every single summer talking about the Gamecocks offensive line and struggling to protect their quarterback to get a run push. Last year was no different. 31 sacks allowed, 119 rushing yards per game. South Carolina finishing outside of the top 100 nationally. And as you point out, you lose second-team SEC right guard Jovan Gwynn, your center Eric Douglas, right tackle Dylan Wanham, and two backups. And you return two starters, but Jalen Nichols, of course, injured in the spring game, most likely going to miss the entire season. You add a couple of guys from the transfer portal, the FCS level. Nick Gargiulo, the big one coming over from Yale. Uh, you add another from Charlotte, another from Mercer. But as you mentioned, again, the questions on the offensive line, 86 career starts. Did Shane Beamer indicate there's any reasons for hope this group could improve both in the rushing game and protecting the quarterback, or was he pretty forthcoming with, you know, the real problems and maybe concerns they have with that unit going into kickoff? Well, he did note that they had to replace a lot of production from the offensive line, but he did say the returnees have played a lot, and you know each of, a lot of them have starting experience. Losing Nichols, I think, is it did hurt, but uh, he feels they've recruited well at that position. And that they're, uh, he wishes they had a little more depth, but he does like seven or eight. And really, when you talk to the head coaches, the goal generally coming in is always uncover eight offensive linemen that can play. That's what you need to get through the season. There is no doubt South Carolina's offensive line has underachieved each of the last two years. Now, last year when I talked to Coach Beamer, he pointed out the fact that the offensive line had underachieved. The players were anxious to uh get that not to happen again the second year and then it happened again last year so I don't think he was as high on the offensive line this year but there definitely is the potential Mm -hmm. and he likes the way they've been recruiting at the position and you know as mentioned with these transfers like uh, Nick from uh, Yale and then you got uh, Fugar from uh, Western Illinois these FCS transfers can come in and do well if they were starting at the FCS level and those guys have so i I think they'll cobble together a a better offensive line, but I wouldn't put it up there with the top units of the SEC. Now, Phil, moving to the defensive side, I want to talk about the front seven as a whole because, you know, you mentioned obviously the defensive front. They feel good about that group. And I think the D-line, especially with some of those young guys, they've got some athletes there that I think leads you to be optimistic about that unit and the linebacking core. I, I think when you talk about stopping the run or, slowing down the run again Phil this is a group that finished outside of the top 100 and stopping the run as well you know I thought it was really interesting what you said about the linebacking core they're less experienced entering 23 but the guys they are replacing weren't all SEC caliber linebackers and a couple of weeks ago Clayton White the defensive coordinator actually spoke on the linebacker position and if you read between the lines with no disrespect to the previous guys you you could almost tell that it was like an addition by subtraction, and they feel really good about this new influx of talent. I mean, I'll tell you this, Phil. I think Pup Howard has got freshman All-SEC written all over him. You get Jerron Willis from the portal. Mo Caba comes back from injury. Debo Williams at this point is a veteran. Stone Blanton should take the next step. And, I, you know, I don't think – I'm not putting South Carolina's linebacker unit at the top of the SEC by any means. Still got a long way to go. 
But I think there are reasons to be optimistic. That front seven should be much better than it's been in years past. Yeah, and you hit it right on the head, Chris, with uh, the linebacking core last year. While those players were all hard workers and all that, uh, this year's unit, uh, I think the linebackers are, while young, they have the ability to cover, they have the ability to run and and takes you know eliminate space and then also rush the passer. So we're getting better athletic linebackers in there, and uh, they're not losing all conference players at the linebacker position. And you look at you know some of the guys. You talk about up front. I mean, losing Strahan last year uh, for the entire season uh, in week two that was big a big hit to the defensive line. Uh, you're looking at Alex Huntley inside. He's 305 pounds and. I think he's ready to take the next step. He's twitchy. He's got a good motor. Uh, you know, Hemingway is a guy that uh, plays on special teams, which I like. Uh, and he plays inside, can also play defensive end. Uh, and he's just a, one of those hardworking guys that went to the media days, as a matter of fact. And then uh, Tyreek Johnson, it's his turn. It's his time to step up. He's been in the program a long time. He's been pretty dependable there. Uh, you touched on Pup Howard. I think he's a guy that's going to step in and, Maybe be the next great linebacker at South Carolina. I don't think he's going to start the opener, but I do think maybe by the end of the season he finds his way in there and could be doing that. And Stone Blanton's a guy that played well in the bowl. He's smart. He's instinctive. Uh, and he, he works hard to be better in space, and I think he is this year. He's faster. He's more athletic. Uh, Debo Williams is a tough down. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The linebackers. So I do like the talent they have there. I was very disappointed in the run defense last year, but you got to think that gets fixed this year uh, with what they, that the overall talent that they have in the front seven. Now, Phil, one thing that hasn't been a problem for South Carolina defensively is the secondary. And give all the credit in the world to Torian Gray, the job he's done in his first two seasons in Columbia. But you do replace a pair of NFL 
defensive backs in both of your starting corners from a season ago, Cam Smith and Debrius Rush, Marcellus Dial and O'Donnell Fortune, respectively, will fill in those roles. It helps when you got a pair of safeties, though, Phil, like the Gamecocks do, with Nick Eamon-Worry and DQ Smith in the back end. Both these guys were freshman All-SEC, freshman All-American caliber-type players. Just talk about the secondary. I, I do think, Phil, you know, I think most are saying give the benefit of the doubt to Orion Gray, what he's done. And while I do agree, I still think it's somewhat of a question mark early on. You have to give credit and give credence to the fact that South Carolina replaces what they replace. And especially, Phil, when you take on the teams like North Carolina, Georgia, Mississippi State, Tennessee. I mean, these are programs with high-octane offenses. That secondary is going to be tested early. Your thoughts on a retooled secondary for South Carolina heading into this season? Yeah, it's always tough replacing a number two and a number five draft pick in the, the NFL at cornerback. That, that is probably a, a concern. Uh, you look at the fact South Carolina has finished strong in the past defense, uh, number 26 in uh, 21, and then uh, last year, number 17 in my past defense ratings. And that was despite uh, being uh, plagued with injuries throughout the year. Uh, Safety Roderick was out for the year after one start. And this year, they actually returned four guys with starting experience. Uh, and, you know, Smith and uh, Nick in the, in the safety spots. I mean, Nick was a freshman All-American. He's got great size at 6'4", 220. He's got great range, a really good tackler. And Smith is a guy that was a high school quarterback and was thrown also into the duty as a true frost. So I think those two are going to make a heck of a safety combo for years uh, here at South Carolina. Now the corner is the, the position of question. O'Donnell Fortune, though, he got that interception for a touchdown in the bowl game. He really has all the tools. He's six foot one. probably has to keep his weight on. That's probably been the biggest thing. But I like the way he produced on the field last year. It gives you a good-sized corner. And then um, Marcella Stiles, a guy that had a great game against Clemson last year, three interceptions. And uh, both those two guys, I think, will fare well uh, on the field this year. So I, I do look for another good secondary uh, from South Carolina, maybe not number 17 in the country, but, but pretty close to it. I, I think they'll be strong. In fact, I rate him the number 22 secondary in the country. Phil, Beamer ball was yet again a big part of South Carolina's success a season ago. I mean, when you have a punter like Kai Kroger, who's not just a weapon in the kicking game, but can throw a couple of touchdowns as well, you know, the trickery, the the, the kickoff returns, the the, the blocked punts, what have you, it went so far in South Carolina's success. And as you mentioned in your publication, the Gamecocks, of course, ranked number one in special teams a season ago. And you have them ranked number one in the special teams units yet again heading into the 2023 season. Your overall thoughts of just how Beamer Ball and special teams and the job that Pete Limbo has done has impacted South Carolina and what Shane Beamer had to say about maybe what makes them just so successful, how they're able to tap into that and really take advantage of that facet of the game. Yeah, and you knew coming in when the, the combination was hired, because I remember talking to uh, Frank Beamer at uh, Virginia Tech, knowing the importance of special teams there. You knew with Shane coming in, special teams was going to be important. And then hiring a guy like Pete Lembo, who I've always regarded as one of the top special teams coaches in the country, you're thinking, okay, South Carolina should be really, really good on special teams. And that first year, they were number 18. Now, this is a unit that, Players, excuse me, players want to play on special teams here. Uh, you know, you get players like um, Donka Hemingway uh, participating in their player, you know, starting lineup that want to play on special teams. That's big. The fact that Lembo and, and Beamer are there, and boy, did it produce last year. In fact, 
South Carolina last year was outgained by 80 yards per game in SEC play, yet finished eight and five. So having special teams, I think, was a huge part of that. And nothing's really changed. Getting Kai Kroger back at punter, you've got one of the best punters in the country. They can flip the field. And as mentioned, uh, here's a guy that uh, hit four or four passes with two touchdowns. Uh, dangerous to fake at any time. Mitch Jeter, a kicker, coming off a, a really solid year. He hit 11 of 11 field goals along a 53. Uh, and then you've got the return men are going to be dangerous. Leggett is a guy that averaged 29.4 yards per carry on kick returns. Uh, this is looks like, once again, the premier special teams unit. And, uh, you know, they talk about nobody really talks about special teams. I think when people break down teams, they look at the quarterback, running back and receivers. But if you factor in special teams, South Carolina is always going to be at the top of that, especially with uh, uh, Shane Beamer and uh, Pete Lumbo there. Now, Phil, I know you're into gambling, obviously, with your publication. and You guys do a lot of work on that side of things. How fascinating is South Carolina, a team that it, it just seems they're an underdog at every turn, and they are so good. It's like the more they're doubted, the better they play. I think seven of Shane Beamer's 15 wins – have come as the underdog. From the gambling perspective, your thoughts on the Gamecocks and just, again, how fascinating are they that they just continue to defy the odds and and overachieve and, and overcome maybe being a a dog in Vegas, if you will? Yeah, it's, it's pretty remarkable. And you, you go back to those back-to-back games they had last year against Tennessee and Clemson after they, they had a 22-point dog against Tennessee, and they win the game by 25 points. <laughs> That's 47 points away from the spread. That doesn't happen very often. So the next week you figure, well, they're going to – I mean, just the, the week prior they have been beat by Florida by 32. They're like Clemson's going to hammer them here. And then uh, uh, going to upset Clemson the next week, 31-30 to 30 is a two-touchdown dog. So you love a coach that does that. Uh, if you're talking gambling, you might think, say, South Carolina on the money line, anytime they're a big dog – because they have pulled the big upset. So that's that's a lot of fun to see. And, uh, you know, it, it helps going into games where uh, I think the players realize, and, and nothing to do with gambling with the players, but the players realize, hey, we were a big dog here. We were a big dog here. We pulled the upset. They go into the game believing they can win. Remember Florida back in 2021, a 20-point dog. They won the game by 23 points. So this is a team that uh, I believe Coach Beamer has them coached up. Hey, I don't care. Who's favored? Who's the underdog? We got a chance to win this game, and, and the players are now buying into it completely. Now, Phil, finally on South Carolina, and then we'll get into the SEC more so. You know, you mentioned the schedule is much more difficult this season than it was a season ago. Of course, you open up with North Carolina in Charlotte. College game day will be there. Clemson's still on the schedule. You have to travel to Georgia, to Knoxville, to College Station as well. And as you mentioned, Phil, the Gamecocks last year outgained by 80 yards per game in SEC play, but yet again, able to overachieve thanks to special teams and overcome, uh, you know, finishing outside of the top 100 rush offense, rush defense. It appears you feel confident that South Carolina, you know, will overachieve yet again. The over-under in Vegas is set at six and a half, six, depending which book you look at. What do you think clicks for South Carolina? Because I, I think the thing that, you know, makes me somewhat cautious is to your point, you know, I think there's a reason the computers and Vegas, they maybe don't look on South Carolina as highly because of the numbers that I just mentioned. But the bottom line is this, to your point, that Shane Beamer and company, they continue to find ways to win ball games, whether it's being opportunistic on defense, it's special teams, it's making the big play in a key moment, it's pulling the big upset, what have you. 
Do you think that continues? Is South Carolina able to just continue to win the the special teams facet or be opportunistic on defense? Or do you see them making significant improvements on one side of the ball or the other on both sides to overachieve and exceed expectations yet again? Yeah, I first of all, I do not expect South Carolina to get outgained by 80 yards per game in SEC play again. I think their offense is going to be more potent, more resembling what they did at the end of the season last year. Uh, rather than a game like Florida where they struggled and had 11 first downs. Uh, you remember the uh, the Texas A&M game, even though they won that thing, it was mostly due to special teams mm-hmm. and some turnovers, uh, only 13 first downs in that game. So there were games where they struggled last year. I, I don't, don't see those games this year. So I don't think they get out game by 80 yards per game. I also think the rush defense will be better. That's one plus going in their favor. The special teams is a big factor. Now the schedule is the second toughest in the country. You touch on the fact not only North Carolina and Clemson out of conference, but drawn Texas A&M from the West, I think, is brutal because I, I think A&M is the most improved team in the country. We'll probably talk about them in a little bit. But they do get Florida at home. They do get uh, Kentucky at home. And I think the Missouri game, if you're looking for them to match last year's eight-win total or uh, top that six-and-a-half over-under, that Missouri game is going to be huge. I do think they have the talent to go into Missouri and come out with a win. I know that uh, Missouri's given them trouble each of the last uh, three years or four years. They've lost four in a row to Missouri, but I think they they have the potential. That, to me, is going to be your key game on the schedule as to whether or not they top that six and a half. But I got them third in the East overall this year uh, because of the fact uh, they get Kentucky at home, get Florida at home. I think that's huge. Uh, I've got them favored against Mississippi State at home and uh, the Missouri game being the toss-up. Vanderbilt will be favored against as well. And, Phil, we'll go through – we'll start with the SEC East and go through your picks here. You've got Georgia, of course, winning the SEC East. That's not a hot take at all. Tennessee at number two, South Carolina number three, Kentucky four, Florida also tied for fourth, Missouri at sixth, and Vanderbilt at seventh. Again, South Carolina finishing third, the SEC media also at SEC Media Days for what it's worth. They picked the Gamecocks third, and I picked the Gamecocks third as well in the SEC East. But kind of just go through briefly your picks there. Again, Georgia's the no-brainer. I think most believe Tennessee is the fourth-best team in the SEC when you just look at Josh Heupel, the offense. Of course, Joe Milton is a big question mark there. And then on down the line, your your thoughts on the SEC East, the way it shakes out, because I'll say this, Phil, you know, I feel like you can kind of pencil in Georgia at one, Vandy at seven, but two through six is sort of a crapshoot. I think they could finish in nearly any order. Yeah, it should be interesting this year, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, start with Georgia. Uh, more experienced defense than they had last year. Uh, last year, they lost nine guys in the NFL. This year, just five. They lost fewer number one draft picks. And going over uh, the Georgia team, they felt better about the experience level of the defense. Number one offensive line in the country. Number four receivers. I mean, they bring in Mississippi State's top receiver, Missouri's top receiver. And uh, I think Carson Beck will be a Heisman candidate at the end of the year. They're going to be a double-digit favorite in every game with the exception of Tennessee, where they might be a touchdown favorite. I do think they win the East. With Tennessee, you know, the key for them is going to be Joe Milton and the interception total. Last year, Hendon Hooker, 27 touchdowns, just two interceptions. Can Milton come anywhere near that? That's going to be the key. But I think overall their defense is a little bit better. The offensive line's good. Uh, the receiving core is dangerous, and the running backs one of the more underrated groups. They don't have that star running back, but they got a lot of depth. I do think Tennessee comes in second in the East. With Kentucky, I, I think they get an upgrade at the quarterback spot. I was nonplussed with Will Levis last year. Uh, I think Derek, Devin Leary comes in coming off the injury that he had last year. They bring in Ray Davis uh, from Vanderbilt at running back. 
Uh, Kentucky should be a better team this year. Now, they have to play, uh, you know, Mississippi State on the road, South Carolina road. They get Alabama at home. They get Tennessee at home. Those are games they could potentially be underdogs in as well. So they could very well be a dog in five uh, of their SEC games this year. Uh, but I, I think Kentucky will be a, a strong team and, and at least match last year's record. With Florida, you know, there's not a lot on paper to like. They're only number 109 on the experience chart. They only have 11 starters back. Uh, their over-under win total is only five and a half. The expectations are extremely low for the Gators this year. But going over the team with Coach Napier, he's pretty pleased that that this is a situation. He's like, go ahead. Hope everybody picks us low because we're going to surprise some folks. And I had my doubts on Graham Mertz, a quarterback, going there. I didn't know if he was a good fit for the system. But Coach Napier is high on Mertz, and Mertz has a very high IQ. He's one of the hardest workers on the team. He's got starting experience at Wisconsin. And if you remember that first game he had against Illinois, I mean, everybody was projecting him as a first-round draft pick. Maybe he can have a Spencer Rattler type of year and really improve in this season with Florida. Missouri's dangerous because they've got the bulk of their team back. They're number eight on my experience chart. They've got eight starters back on defense, seven on offense. Should get more improved quarterback play. Still a little wondering about the running back room there. Uh, but Luther Burden should have a bigger season this year. Uh, but I still pick them six. And then Vanderbilt, I really love the job Clark Lee's doing. I mean, uh, beating Kentucky and Florida last year, that was great. I uh, had them more competitive on the field. Fifteen starters coming back. Uh, it's a job I wouldn't take, you know, the Vanderbilt job because of the, 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 the academic situation and the lack of transfers. But I got a feeling he's going to get another couple upsets or two this year. Now, Phil, moving to the SEC West, let's start at the top here really quickly and focus on these top two teams, Alabama and LSU. You've got the Crimson Tide winning the SEC West over LSU and I'll just simply ask you why. I think that's one of the most highly debated topics of this offseason is going into the year. Um, you know, people are kind of split between Alabama, LSU, who wins the West. Bama with the questions at quarterback. We Nobody knows who's going to start right now. You lose Bryce Young. You lose Will Anderson. You lose Jamar Gibbs. Why is Alabama the pick? LSU's a team. You look, Jaden Daniels. I mean, they're as loaded as anybody across the board. What makes Alabama the pick for you over the LSU Tigers? And actually, Chris, I'm going to include Texas A&M in the okay. conversation. I don't mm -hmm. think it's just two. It's mm -hmm. three teams in the West this year. Uh, start with Bama. I'm not going to be the guy that's left a, at the end of the year watching Nick Saban <laughs> win another national championship and not have him pick to go to the playoffs, mm -hmm. for crying out loud. I mean, they had a miserable year last year. They went 11-2. and two. Uh, They had two losses on the final play of the game, Tennessee kicking that uh, field goal after Alabama missed a game-winning field goal, and then LSU winning in overtime. So it's not like they were a bad team last year. Now, on paper, I don't like them. They're only number 127 in the experience chart. You mentioned they don't know who their quarterback's going to be, but they got three really good quarterbacks in Tyler Buckner, Jalen Milrow, and Ty Simpson. I think whoever wins the job will have a good year. Uh, you know Nick Saban's recruiting. You know the way Nick Saban develops his teams. And this is the year he's most dangerous. It's one of those rebuilding years. They're not preseason number one like they have been the last two years. In fact, He's only won one national title when preseason number one, but make him not preseason number one, that's when he's most dangerous. Also, they get that big game against LSU at home. They get Tennessee at home. If you follow Alabama in the last two years, they've struggled on the road. That is where they've had their problems. They lost to Tennessee and um, uh, LSU last year on the road. They lost to A&M on the road, and they've had a lot of close calls on the road, but not at home. They're dominant at home, and that's the reason I went with Bama. Now, as far as LSU 
there's no doubt this year's LSU team is better than last year's LSU team. Uh, you know, Brian Kelly's a second-year head coach, and I talk to so many head coaches every year. Every second-year head coach will tell you how much better shape they're in. They now know the players. The players know their systems. And with LSU, they've got a lot more returning starters than they did last year as well. Jaden Daniels really came on. I think that Florida game was the game that turned his season around. Uh, and he was dynamic there and then much better the rest of the season. Should be one of the uh, SEC's best quarterbacks. I like their defensive line led by Wingo. I like their linebackers led by Perkins. Very talented at all positions. But they do have to play Alabama on the road, which is, is going to be tough. I also have to play Ole Miss on the road and, of course, wrap it up with A&M. But I think LSU is a legitimate contender in the West, a legitimate national title contender. And then Texas A&M is a team I think that's just way off, way under the radar. You know they've been recruiting to the level of Alabama and LSU and Ohio State the last uh, since Jimbo Fisher got there, no doubt about the recruits. And last year they went 5-7. and seven. But a couple things about that. Uh, last year when I was going through the team with Coach Fisher, uh, like the offensive line, for example, he said, Phil, we're going to have one of the best offensive lines in the country next year would be his final two words. Uh, they were number 124 in my experience chart last year, one of the least experienced teams in the country. Uh, you look at them last year, they lost their top wide receiver, Anaya Smith, week four. They used three different starting quarterbacks due to the injury. Connor Wegman really came on at the end of the year. They had injuries on the offensive line. One game they started three frosh. They had injuries on the defense. And yet, even in that year, five and seven, they beat LSU 38 to 23. And they're on Alabama's two yard line at the end of the game, down by four points, chance to win on the final play, and they just come up short. Or else they could have knocked off both Alabama and LSU last year. They have the talent to play with the big boys. They get Alabama at home. I think it's Alabama's one game on the schedule that I don't have them favored in this year. I've got that game ready as a toss up. And I would say they're a legitimate contender in the West this year. So keep your eyes on A&M uh, as well as LSU and Alabama. High expectations, Phil, in College Station for sure. And again, like you mentioned, a uh, lot of reason to be excited about what they've got coming back. The rest of the West, Phil, you got Ole Miss at four, Arkansas at five, Auburn at six, and Mississippi State at seven. And like I mentioned about the East, same applies to the West, Phil. I mean, four through seven could really finish in any order. And the storylines are abound with Lane Kiffin. K.J. Jefferson at Arkansas, maybe the best quarterback in the SEC. The Hugh Freeze effect, which we're already seeing take place at Auburn and then Mississippi State, beginning a new era with the loss of the late, great Mike Leach. Just run through your picks for the West and why you selected them the way you did. Yeah, with Ole Miss, you know, I, I did a great article on uh, philsteel.com. I had never really – I put the experience chart in the magazine all these years. I've never had time to actually go back and see how the experience chart does. Well, two things I found – uh, and there's two different blogs on philsteel.com. Just go check out the daily blogs. Click back to the, the blog about the experience chart. But the first one is the teams that are in the top 25 or 30 on the experience chart generally are improved the next year. And then the second one was teams that make a drastic jump on the experience chart. I talked about Texas A&M. They went for number 124 in my experience chart up to number 14 this year. They've got 10 starters back on offense, 10 on defense. Well, Old Miss made a similar jump. They were number 118 in my experience chart last year. This year, they're number 27. So check out those two blogs on philsteel.com. But talking about Ole Miss, I think their biggest improvement is going to be a quarterback, Jackson Dart. Uh, an okay year last year, but he wasn't your typical Lane Kiffin quarterback. Uh, talking to the staff this year, I feel he will be. He is a much improved QB. They've got Judkins in the backfield. Uh, I think adding a Zachary Franklin from UTSA was big and wide receiver. 
they're bigger, stronger, faster on the defense across the board. They brought in a lot of transfers to go along with their experience level. And uh, it should be another good season. And, and the only two games I have them a pure underdog in are at Georgia, at Alabama. I've got the NM game ready right to toss up. I got the Auburn on the road game uh, toss up. So I think they have a good shot at uh, matching or beating last year's eight win total. With Arkansas, they're switching up the offense a little bit, going to more of a pass offense. They lost their top four receivers. However, Coach uh, Pittman told me that he likes the receiving core and K.J. Jefferson likes the receiving core. So I think they'll be okay in that respect. They've got uh, Rocket Sanders back at running back. Uh, Pittman knows how to develop an offensive line. And defensively, they should be much better against the run. They're switching their system defensively, uh, going to more of a four-man front. I think that's going to help them against the run. Coach Pittman told me they were loaded at defensive end, the most improved unit on the team. Uh, so with that the case, I think Arkansas is going to be a player. But they've got that ridiculous four-game schedule, Chris. I mean, September 23rd at LSU, the following week in Arlington against Texas A&M, then at Old Miss and at Alabama. That's the, the four top teams in your division all on the road in a four-game stretch. Good luck to that. But I think it's going to be much like their previous seasons where they started fast, got a rut in the middle of the year, and then finished strong. I think they finished stronger this year. Uh, they were hit by injuries hard last season. With Auburn, I think Coach Freeze will get Auburn turned around in no no time at all. Uh, he's got my number 39 experience chart team, so they have the experience uh, coming back. Uh, he felt good about most positions, felt uh, uneasy about a couple positions, as you would expect with a, a new coach coming in. Uh, but I, I think when you look at Auburn, the key is the buy-in. And I asked him about that because last year with Auburn, uh, I felt after they had lost to Penn State, and then when they blew that 17 nothing lead against LSU, you knew Brian Harson was a dead man walking. And were the players even listening, you know, when Harson and, and his coaching staff were talking, knowing they weren't going to be there? I don't know why they left them hanging so long. They finally switched to an interim head coach at the end of the year. Players bought in the Cadillac Williams, and they played great at the end. I asked him what the buy-in was. He said it's strong. So I think with a strong buy-in, a more experienced team, I put Auburn on my most improved list. I think they go from five and seven to making a bowl game this year. I don't consider them a contender in the SEC West, but I do consider them a contender for that fourth spot. And then with Mississippi State, I like the talent. I like talking to Coach Arnett. Uh, they are going to run the football more this year, but that also means that Will Rogers is going to throw the football downfield more this year. You know, last year he had 68% of his passes. It's a different offense, uh, much deeper routes, and also more of a run game. The defense comes back a veteran group. The thing and the reason I've got Mississippi State ranked seventh in the West is purely the schedule. They're going to be an underdog when they go at South Carolina, at Arkansas, at Auburn, and at Texas A&M. Their home games, they've got Alabama and LSU at home. So they're actually going to be a dog in six of their SEC games. Now, can they pull an upset or two? Sure, but it is Arnett's first as a head coach here. Uh, and we shall see if he is able to pull some upsets. But they've got the toughest schedule of any team uh, as far as conference play goes. Phil Steele talking college football with us. Phil, let's look at your preseason top 40, and I want to note, obviously, as you mentioned in your magazine, the top 40 is based on where you project teams to finish in the final rankings. That is important to note, and if you've done, you've done very, very well, as you mentioned. Over the past 10 years, 495 of the 576 teams that you have listed – in your top rankings, have made it to bowl eligibility, a solid 85.9%. So, again, you know what you're talking about. You know these teams as well as anyone. Your top four, though, specifically, you've got Georgia, number one, the Clemson Tigers, 
at number two, which I think is going to be considered a bold pick compared to maybe the rest of college football, the talking heads. I'm not exactly sure Clemson's being mentioned up there as a college football playoff team. Michigan number three, Alabama number four, and you go as far as to mention you are calling for the first three-peat national champion in the Georgia Bulldogs since Minnesota did it back in 1934 to 1936. Phil, I think that was the first year your magazine may have dropped. I don't know. Either way, uh, <laughs> explain your top four. Again, Clemson at number two is interesting. Georgia's the pick to win the national title. And again, you've done very well over the years at calling these. So one through four for you. Just talk about that. And what makes Georgia the pick to win their third straight? Yeah, Georgia, it's a talent and the schedule. You know, as I went over at Georgia, they've got the more experience on defense than they were last year. I think uh, when you look at their schedule, double-digit favorite in every game. Carson Beck will be a Heisman favorite at the end of the year, number one offensive line, and uh, they know how to win games. And Now, do keep in mind, they could have lost to Missouri last year easily. Uh, had Ohio State made a field goal, we're not talking about a chance for a three-peat. Uh, Ohio State's your defending national champ, so – uh, it, but I still think Georgia has a great opportunity to do that. With Alabama, they like said, I'm not going to be the guy that doesn't pick Nick Saban to make the playoff, and, and then, of course, he does what he normally does in these non-number one years, uh, and I think they have the talent to, to get there. And then the other two teams, uh, the Big Ten East was very tough to call. You have Michigan. Uh, I actually rate Ohio State the number two most talented team in the country. If you look at my power poll in the front of the magazine, I've got Michigan number three. And I've got Penn State number five. So my original thought process it was I'll take whichever team hosts the other two. That would make it pretty easy. Unfortunately, Michigan has to play at Penn State. Penn State plays at Ohio State. Ohio State plays at Michigan. But of the three teams, Michigan's got the best schedule. I also think when you look at Michigan, this is Jim Harbaugh's best team he's ever put on the field. Uh, they're number seven on my experience chart. Of all the main contenders, they're one of the few that actually has a veteran quarterback in J.J. McCarthy. It's going to, they're going to unleash him a little bit, let him throw the football down the field. They got my number one rated offensive or number one rated running back corner in the country, number two rated offensive line, and defensively they're going to be solid across the board. Uh, so I went with Michigan to make the playoff out of the Big Ten. And then, as you mentioned, I saw a lot of preseason top 25s at the start of the year, and I saw a lot of them that didn't even have Clemson in the top 10. But after going over the team with Coach Sweeney, the thing I found out defensively, Remember that 2018 defensive line they had, which was just loaded with NFL players? Well, he said this group doesn't have the star power of 2018, but the group's actually deeper in talent and experience. Uh, you're looking at Tyler Davis, uh, Aurora, Thomas, Page, Williams. I couldn't even put Peter Woods as the star of the spring game, a guy who I think is going to have a major impact this year. I couldn't find a spot to list him as a starter, but you know he's going to be one of the top players in college football. So this is a loaded defensive line, the best unit out there. They have my number two set of linebackers with Carter and Trotter back. You look at them offensively, I think Cade Klubnick does have a big year, lives up to his PS number one billing. They've got Shipley Amafa at running back. The offensive line is a veteran group, and the receiving core looks upgraded. They've had sort of had average receiving cores the last couple of years. I think it's improved this year. And then you factor in the schedule. You know, they've only lost one game in Death Valley the last six years, and they get both Florida State and Notre Dame at home. So I do have Clemson favored in all 12 of their games this year. And, yes, Gamecock fans, sorry, got them favored <laughs> at South Carolina. But uh, by, not by much, but I uh, still have them favored. But, uh, yeah, I've got uh, Clemson running the table at 12-0 and making the playoff this year. 
Bill Steele does a fantastic job. There's not a magazine out there with more in-depth analysis and information to get you ready for kickoff. Phil, truly appreciate you taking the time, my friend. I always know kickoff is near when we do this, and I cannot say thank you enough. And congratulations, by the way, yet again, for another successful magazine release, all the great work you do. And to everyone listening, urge you all to either get the magazine at philsteel.com or wherever the magazines are sold, of course, Barnes & Noble, your local grocery store, if you will. Uh, and if one more time, Phil, you want to plug it, and let's, let's make sure everybody knows exactly where to go get the magazine. I appreciate that, Chris. I always appreciate doing the show with you as well. I enjoy talking uh, someone with someone as knowledgeable on South Carolina football as you are. But let's talk about the magazine real quick. Uh, the only two brick-and-mortar stores you can find it at, are Barnes & Noble and Books A Million this year. We went exclusively with those two. Barnes & Noble and Books A Million are the only two places to go, so don't go looking around at the grocery stores or Walmart, just Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. Now, philsteel.com, you get the hard copy. When you order the hard copy on philsteel.com, we give you the digital for free. The digital is updated all the way through the start of the season. That's philsteel.com, S-T-E-E-L-E. And also, we have an FCS magazine this year, you know, I think, uh, Chris, you talked about gambling a little bit earlier. There's 130 games, something like that, between FBS and FCS. You want to get the gist of who you're playing or who these FBS teams are playing? I give you two full pages on every FCS team in the digital FCS magazine, which is available right now. That's at philsteel.com. And those are the games to wager on. They're, they're sort of almost easy money because uh, the general public knows everything when Alabama plays LSU, but ask them about Princeton or – uh, North Dakota and teams, people know hardly anything about it. You could become an instant FCS expert at PhilSteel.com. Phil Steele, always a pleasure, my friend. I appreciate you taking the time. Phil, congratulations again on the success and looking forward to a fantastic 2023 college football season. Had a lot of fun today, Chris. Thanks for having me out once again. 